What up? Joanna, and I'm here with the homies. Say what's up, y'all. What's up? It's Isaiah. Hey, dude, this is Raphael. <laughs> <laughs> what was that little laugh, Isaiah? We just sound, we, we, it's just that we both sounded so drained, and I know that we were, we were both talking about, or at least I was, just the weather has been um, kind yeah. of, uh, it's been just, you know, cold and getting dark early, you know. Isaiah, you're right. I didn't have my normal spirit. It was a weak what it do. It was a forced what it do. You know what I mean? I'm sorry. Let me let me do that again. What it do, everybody. This is Raphael. Is that better? Is yeah, that but better? I did. Yeah, but I did the same things. So there's no shame in it. <laughs> I like it. We're we are where we are where we are, right? Um, we are recording um in the evening, right? It's like 545 on a Tuesday and we usually record in the middle of the afternoon when I think we all have a little bit more energy, but it is what it is. Take us as we are, accept us as we are. Um, let's yeah, get the shit, y'all. What's been going on? Hold on, hold on. We got a guest in the building that's going to be with us. My bad, my bad. We're that's all right, that's all right. Yeah, it's Tuesday at 5.45 in the afternoon. This is what happens. Like I said, take us as we are. All right, yes, we do have a guest. I want to welcome Robert to the show. Robert, jump on off mute and introduce yourself to the This Is Not That audience. Hello, This Is Not That audience. Um, my name is Robert Petter. Um, <laughs> I'm a, uh, well, I do a lot of things, um, a lot of things in a lot of places, but uh, the role I'm filling on, on the show today is uh, I'm an advocate with the Milwaukee Autonomous Tenants Union. Um, and it's a, a pleasure to be here to be able to talk about the variety of topics that we will be addressing. Yeah, I think um, we can all, we're all on the same page when we say um, we all do a lot of things, right? <laughs> um, it just depends what hat we're wearing right at, in the moment. Um, mm -hmm. Okay, now back to what I was saying before, before I um, rudely did not welcome Robert to the show. Let's shoot the shit, y'all. What's been going on? Ralphie, you go first. Man, my weekend was straight lacking. You know what I mean? All I did, I was, I mean, it was it was a lack of Packer football. I'm a huge uh, Green Bay Packer fan. It was a bye week. So, you know, yeah. I found myself, you know how you, you be in situations and sometimes like, oh, it's like you about to like take a picture and then you don't know what to do with your hands. Like, you don't know if I'm about to throw up the peace sign, do the cross eye, you know, hands behind the back. That's how it is when the Packers on a bye week for me. I didn't know what to do with myself. I really didn't know. So I just watched um, this is another another round of uh, The Wire season three, you know. So oh, really? <laughs> I found myself watching The Wire. Yo, again. are you are you really on season three right now? Look, I didn't watch The Wire. I didn't watch Have you the watched Wire. all of like, them and you're just yeah, watching like, season three? Yeah, no, yeah. this is my third time through and I am on season three that's right now, season. too. Yeah, season three. That's that's the most... I think season four is probably the best season, but season three is like... 
the culmination of the first three seasons. Right. right? It ties so, up. It ties up the Barbie storyline. Yeah. Know, so I always go back to that. Season four is better, but season three is. So I find myself mm-hmm. watching that again, and I got a new show, Secession, on uh, HBO is really good too. So, you know, I have a person that if they weren't so mean to me and kind of called me a elitist on the low for having an HBO Max account, I would have right. shared their account. You know, I'm not gonna say no names, <laughs> Joanna, but uh, you know, they've been they've been having this beef for a couple of weeks, to my knowledge. I'm a proletariat. I'm a club. You know what I mean? You know, so don't don't try to do me. Yeah. Metro Market HBO. Slow up. Okay, okay, okay. What else been going on? What up with you, Isaiah? What's been going on? Uh, you know, mostly um, well, Halo Infinite. What what day is it? The campaign is coming out tomorrow. I'm a huge Halo fan. I'm a huge Halo nerd. So the new Halo game just came out. The multiplayer is free, so I've been playing that a little bit. And I'm going to wait. The campaign is sold separately and comes out tomorrow, which is interesting. But that's a different conversation for a different podcast, probably. Um, uh, But honestly, and especially kind of last night, you know, like uh, uh, lately, it's in terms of work, it's been a lot of, uh, you know, as usual, just some heavier topics, uh, the weather on set as well. Uh, I've just been trying to, especially last night, I became kind of aware that, you know, just reflecting on just kind of caring for your, making sure you feel good and you're caring for yourself and, and also being appreciative of, of, uh, things that you do have, especially in just the current weather and, uh, political and emotional environment that we can be in. So I kind of had one of those moments last night. Um, and that was actually really pleasant. I just kind of eat as cold as it was. I went outside and I just futzed around with my lacrosse stick. Uh, and um, that was cool. And I went back inside. And I had a massive appetite that I had been lacking all day. So I don't know. It's it, it's just kind of a winter is always a time for me to just kind of reflect on that kind of stuff and kind of reset in that kind of way. Just pay attention to how you feel. Um, because you're, some people are just prone to feel kind of crummy, you know, when it gets dark at three and it's cold and Mm -hmm. all that, you know, I mean, you don't have much reason to go outside unless it's for food. So. 100%. Yeah. I'm definitely one of those people that get like, you know, I don't like to be trivial with the phrase seasonal depression, but I definitely feel a difference in my mood during the winter time, especially as I've gotten older. I always find myself somewhere around December, January, asking myself, "Did why did my great-grandparents come up north? <laughs> like, then I got to remind myself, okay, they racism, thought, thought it would be better. KKK. Lack yeah. of economic opportunity, you know, that type of stuff, you know. They just they just all got here too late. Yeah. Just those yeah. things. Yeah, I was just talking to one of our colleagues um, at Citizen Action. Um, we were just having a check-in, and she was telling me how she intentionally schedules time in the, like, in the middle of the day to just go outside for a bit just to be outside when it's, like, daylight because we do start work in the morning when it's dark and we end work when it's dark. Um, so she tries to be intentional about going inside in the middle of the day just to catch a little bit of daylight, maybe some sunshine if it's, if it's out. Um, I think a lot's been going on for me, I feel like. So in a personal note, this past weekend was my little cousin's birthday. She just turned 18. 
And so like some of the family got together, right? Like for cake and dinner and cake, right? And I'm just like coming to the realization that like, I'm a big cousin, like I'm a big cousin now, right? Like my little little cousins that I used to babysit for that were just like, you know, just little, little brainless kids, right? Mm-hmm. They are coming to age, like they're entering adulthood. They're, they're coming like, and having like real life, they're, yeah, I don't know. They're just coming to those moments where they're making like real life decisions, stuff that can impact their their future. And and I'm just realizing, like, wow, look at me. I'm 33, and and I'm the big cousin to these little 18 year olds. And so, it was definitely a, a moment for me um, in my growth and and my position in this family. Um, and then also thinking about age. It's my mama's birthday on Friday, so shout out to my mom. Um, thinking about how dope she is. Yes. Happy birthday, mom. Super dope. Raised a bunch of of amazing kids, single mom. Um, Shout out to the single moms out there just holding it down. Um, And then other personal thing is, um, so I sit on the board for True School, uh, which is a youth organization. And um, Maritza, she is going to be performing at the uh, end of the semester showcase this Thursday. Uh, it's going to be from five to eight at um, Best Place Historic Pap Brewery. Um, they're hosting it there. Um, so if y'all are free this Thursday evening from five to eight, come down uh, to the brewery, check out Marisa and the other amazingly talented True School youth. They're going to be doing their thing, um, DJing, emceeing. I think they're going to be some spoken word. Um, they're super talented, young um, kids um youth of color and um I'm really excited for that. So so yeah that's been going on with me and then work related this past weekend we had the Movement Politics Academy on Saturday and tomorrow Wednesday uh December 8th is our last session of the academy so getting ready to wrap that up and just super proud of the work that we did. Um I won't talk a ton about about the Movement Politics Academy because I have in other shows but um if anybody's ever interested in running for office, hit me up. Let's talk about it. I am so here for it and wanting to support progressive um, people running for office, people of color, women, um, people from marginalized communities, uh, queer folks, poor folks. Um, we need to change what um, representation looks like in government here in, in Wisconsin at all levels of government. And so hit me up if you ever want to talk about that. Mm. Um, so, yeah. So what's up with you, Robert? You want to shoot the shit with us? What's been going on with you? Um, well, most of my time is I'm a, I'm a teacher um, over at 38th Street School. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm there from dark until dark. Um, and it's just, you know, it's it's really, uh, yeah, that's that's really something like that is that is my everyday um, um, type of deal. Um, so, yeah, I mean. We're coming up on winter break. Everybody's getting kind of antsy. Um, yeah. the, the students are getting a little antsy. They're ready for winter break. You know, the staff is ready for winter break. Um, so we're just kind of, we're at this point where we're just kind of coming to a, a pinnacle of, of what it, you know, kind of how this next week and a half is going to unfold. Um, so that's, you know, trying to navigate those spaces and those feelings is, uh, a lot of what I'm I'm doing right now um, in terms of my my personal life. Um, it's not much. It's not much I miss about school, but like nope. the built-in breaks in the calendar, 
like spring break, you get like two two weeks. I'm not even gonna say summer break because that's just right. You know, that might be asking too much, you know, in this capitalist system we have. But spring break and Christmas break yeah. are like, man, we need to somehow get that built into the system. <laughs> that is one of the re redeeming aspects of of uh, of being a teacher um, yeah. is the built-in breaks. I mean, I'm I'm enjoying my experience a lot. This is I've this is my first year as a teacher. I've never really done this before. So, you know, we're, we're learning new things, learning how to interact with young people. Um, you know, it's, it's one big learning experience. So that, that is what, what consumes most of my time and energy. Yeah. I mean, there's also year round schools. So I, I don't know if they get if they if they get those stop gaps i went to a year-round school in elementary school but i don't re- remember exactly how it was organized um i just found a little bit of hope and look what you do look what you do as a <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's my job in a way <laughs> uh, unfortunately um joanna i know you mentioned um uh you uh uh the uh, news with uh, Mayor Barrett uh, videoing the the uh, maps. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely want to make sure that we touched on that. So what that just happened yesterday, that um, Mayor Barrett vetoed the um, maps that made it through the Common Council with a 14 to 1 vote. Um, I am... I'm just really glad that he did that, right? Like, I'm glad that he vetoed the maps, um, taken into account um, the Latinx community, the growing, uh, you know, the fastest growing constituency in the city of Milwaukee. Um, so, so basically, um, right, we do maps, new maps every 10 years, right, along with the census, we do redistricting, and um, we're doing maps at the county, city level, state level. So Mayor Barrett um, vetoed the city level maps um, that were holding um so we have two two districts in the city of Milwaukee, right, that are Latino majority districts, right? The 8th Aldermanic and the 12th Aldermanic district, right? Um, and these new maps um, that the Common Council approved 14 to 1 um, were basically leaving Latinos with the same amount of power they had the past decade, right? And so I think that the Latino community came together and showed like how necessary it was to make sure that we were having a serious, thoughtful, meaningful conversation that included um, public input to, to talk about how, how can we have this like growing constituency, um, right, with close to 40% of the Latino population um, under the age of 18, right, like this young growing constituency have the same political power for the next 10 years as they did the past 10 years. Um, and so I'm just like super grateful that um, these, you know, folks came together and, and really like rallied behind this and um, did the work and lobbied and got the mayor to, to, to reconsider, right? Like, I think that there's nothing wrong with um, taking the time to have thoughtful conversations. There's nothing wrong with taking the time to get um, sufficient public input. And yeah, I'm just grateful because 10 years is a long time to think about, right? And when we think about how, when we think about representation, I think that this is one way that it, it, it's like the top, it's like the, one of the top issues, right? When we think about 
constituencies and their power and like where these lines are drawn, um, we should be making sure that we have more districts that are POC majority, more Latinx majority, more black majority, um, especially in Milwaukee, right? This is a super majority people of color city. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to like lift that up. And, and so the next step is um, the common council is going to come together next week to see if they're going to um, like, I don't know the, the like proper terminology, but are they going to let Mayor Barrett's veto stand or if they're going to, you know, kick his veto mm. to the curb? <laughs> let me ask you a question. Um, go ahead, Robbie. So tangibly, like what does this, what does this um, mean? Like, so they're currently, the Latinx community currently has like two majority districts, right? It was the right. 8th and the 12th. Uh, yep. With the veto, this now will allow the proper representation. What does that mean, Kendra? Is we talking like now three, four um, majority um, districts? Like, yeah, break it down for me if you can. Yeah. So, so Voces de la Frontera, right? This local or this statewide organization here in Wisconsin that advocates for immigrant immigrant rights and and the Latinx community. We, if y'all remember, we had Tommy on a few episodes ago to talk about that work. Um, but they did some advocacy and drew some maps, um, like, right, like their recommended maps that um, I think have um, maybe four majority Latino districts. I haven't, and, and full transparency, I have not seen those maps. Um, but um, I know that just talking with some folks on the Common Council and um, just other advocates, right? Like I joined some other Latino advocates and signed on to a letter that went to the mayor asking him to veto um, the maps that were passed by the Common Council. Um, and talking with those people like, and looking at the population numbers that we could for sure have um, three Latino districts right? Three Latino majority districts. And so, so I think like that's where at least the push is, right? Like we should be able to at least get three out of, out of redistricting. So now um, if the um, veto doesn't get overrided, right? I yeah. Think that's right. Um, and the it stays, then they're going to, then LRB at the city level is going to go back and draw the maps again. And they're, they're going to start the process over. Yeah. Just, just very quick on that topic because I, I, I personally don't uh, write a, a lot about uh, redistricting and such that that's more of my editors uh, uh, wheelhouse uh, Ruth Conniff uh, and, and Melanie too um, but I do know that it's a it, it, it's kind of like this long-awaited kind of uh, development not just in Milwaukee but just more at the state level too um, and it's interesting as this goes on that in I believe in Texas they they actually just um, they actually just uh, the uh, DOJ just uh, sued over uh, gerrymandered maps so it, it's interesting to see some of the inter the, uh, the interventions happening and the developments around that um, nationally and also on the local level I mean, that's the crazy thing about the struggle, right? Like, you can have a victory, but then you look at what's going on in the Supreme Court and uh, with abortions, you like, you can't even, like, win for losing, right? I, no. 
what I don't want to do is mansplain this. So, you know, I don't, I don't want to be that guy. So, Joanna, could you tell us a little bit more about what's going on at the Supreme Court level with abortion and what threat this poses to uh, not to just women, but just our community as a large, right? Yeah, right. Like, first of all, I just want to say, so they're, they're, att- they're attempting to overturn Roe, right, which is making sure that um, folks have access to legal and safe abortion. And so in their attempt, I just want to like, like, let's be real, right? They're not going to stop abortion from happening. But what they are going to do is stop um, folks from accessing safe abortions, right? Um, And so that's like, it's, I just can't believe that this is even a conversation, right? Like, um, like what happened to, to this being, um, a woman's fundamental right, right? Like this same court system, right? The Supreme Court at one point said that this was a fundamental right of women to be able to access safe abortions. And like, and like what changed? Women haven't changed. Why, why is this no longer a fundamental right? Um, And so like, to just the fact that they're even having this conversation, um, it's just like mind, mind blowing to me. But so far, like where we're at is like they've had opening arguments on um, um, on like at the Supreme Court level, right? They've had they've heard opening arguments. Um, I don't believe that uh, we're gonna hear an answer or or anything like that until probably summer of next year. But I, I mean, it's this. I mean, think about it. This is also like the the results of having Trump in office, right? Because during his yeah, time as president, he like appointed three of our um, justices, right? And he appointed them with the like understanding that you're going to go there and you're going to overturn Roe. Like, like you're going to make abortions illegal. And it's just so wild to me that like, why don't why do people care? Like, why is it so bothering to somebody else if a woman that they don't even know, never met in their entire life, has an abortion. Yeah, and just a couple of points on that. Um, Trump was actually on Fox, I believe, just the other day. He was he was asked like, kind of what were the main accomplishments of your presidency. He he named a bunch of things. He you know tax tax cuts for the rich essentially because most of the benefits went to the top one percent. Um, and also all the Supreme Court justices that and and other judges that he. Um, installed across the country and also kind of alluded to uh, the, you know, the current uh, Supreme Court case involving abortion, kind of saying like, you know, we'll see what happens with that. So, you know, it's it's something that's being closely monitored by um, him and his following. And it's I personally just find it kind of interesting that when COVID happened, um, you know, there were people. women included who are saying that between the vaccine and wearing masks or any of that, it's, it's their choice. It's their body. They're using that exact same argument, uh, against COVID, but, um, against COVID policies, but now we're back to, um, abortion, which is, that's always been the fundamental principle that it's, it's the woman's body. Um, and she should be able to choose what happens with her health and everything in her future. Uh, now it's just, 
there there's there's no right. there, there's no connection it's just which what happened I don't to know. body autonomy yeah what, what happened to all that, that? what happened to all that goes out um, the window so for real i was listening to um the daily podcast right from the new york times and they were just kind of like rehashing the open argue opening arguments um and like the supreme court justice kavanaugh he was saying um like why does this have to be essentially like why does this have to be at the courts like why can't each like state legislature like like take it up um you know this this shouldn't be um uh, a decision that we're making as judges like like let's leave it up to the individual legislatures and i'm just like no dude let's leave it up to the women and their medical doctors to make that decision like you're right judges shouldn't be like talking about i mean they should because they need to make this like they need to make this a fundamental right and leave it alone but like to give it up to individual legislatures and like make it about politics is not the answer um and i truly think like this is all part of a i think this is all part of their their meaning like the right 2022 um electoral conversation right like in my, you know, 10 years or so of working on and working in politics, working in local politics and talking to voters, I mean, I've had conversations with folks that um, want to vote like Democrat, right? Want to vote for a more maybe left or progressive candidate. But like this one thing, abortion holds them back, right? Like it's like a big thing for folks where it can like literally um, change who they're going to vote for. And so to have such an important election year, right? I know we always say that every year is an important election year, but to have an election year coming up like that, where we got um, gubernatorial races, right? We got the U.S. Senate on the ticket. We got all these congressional races. Like, why not bring up abortion? Why not make um, abortion the topic of conversation, right? Where they know that it's going to split voters and make them vote more conservative, right? More Republican. Um so, I mean, that's just a thought of mine. I think that's why this is coming up and going so, so much farther in conversation. Um, but, you know, like I said, they're going to be having deliberations for the next few months. And I don't know. Yeah, we will definitely see good. how that plays out. I mean, that's kind of what pisses me off about the American electorate period is like, it, it's that hypocrisy that you talk about, like, uh, the same folks are like really supporting the idea of uh, rolling back or uh, getting rid of a uh, Roe v. Wade is the same folks that will be out there talking about freedom all goddamn time. Don't tread on me, right? And folks don't call them out what they bullshit when they do shit like this. This is a, an obvious contradiction of principles, right? Like this is just, that's just what it is. And nobody holds, I feel like, we do a shitty job of holding the right accountable for they they bullshit right they get to play all sides of the issue all the time and i think that's connected to uh white supremacy i think that's uh connected to racial solidarity right but until we really get at the root of that because you know, we thought around uh, uh, around the word fascism a lot, but that is, you know, it's another show, <laughs> Handmaid's Tale, that, uh, you know, that was on TV. But, like, we are really heading into that type of future. And if we don't really uh, get to the point where we hold these 
individuals and this ideology accountable, this thing that you could trace back all the way to the Confederacy. And we didn't do a proper job of stumping that out then. And now we're still dealing with it 150 years later. I mean, I, I, I don't know where we headed as a, as, a, as, a, as a country or as a people, period, you know, that they get to run amok like this. They still I mean, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I interrupted. No, you good. I was just going to say, just like an obvious contradiction would be, you know, you're forcing women, you're, you're not going to completely ban abortion. You're just making it more difficult and more dangerous for women to get an abortion. But once those babies are born, if they are born, you very minimal is like, you know, you don't want to house them. For example, there's other policies that humans need that are that are uh, actively fought against by that growing wing, um, which isn't even really conservative by principle anymore. It's just very nationalistic, um, very aggressive. Um, so it, it it's just kind of rot with all these kinds of contradictions. That I, I guess that was just my point. <laughs> yeah. Were you going to say something, Robert? Yeah, I'm going to just weigh in for a second is, is like, the, the, the fact of the contradiction, the existence of the contradiction, like it, it doesn't matter to the, the right wing politicians who, who push this issue, this evangelical issue of, of abortion, um, because it, it ultimately has been a, polit- a huge political success for them since the, mm-hmm. the late 1970s and the 1980s. Like this was a, a major political strategy decision that was made by the Reagan Bush campaign. Um, and by the Republican Party in the late 1970s as a, you know, mechanism to, to unseat uh, the Democrats and, and, you know, push forward with this very new and, and radical right-wing uh, agenda. Um, and, and what it ultimately is, is a, um, in, a in a way, it's a labor policy. Um, you know, limiting women's reproduction rights is, is a fundamental aspect of, of labor. You know, if you if you destabilize humans, if you if you destabilize their process as workers, if you destabilize their families, you know, through policies that restrict abortions, it ultimately creates cheaper labor. It ultimately starts to break up the, you know, the organized movements of workers. And that was the main thing that was trying to be accomplished because you know, the, when we talk about the working class, like women are a fundamental part of the working class. And when their reproductive health is compromised, their position is also compromised. Their position of power, their position of, you know, owning their own labor and owning their own time, you know, and being able to control their, their bodies and their, their positions in society, it becomes limited. Um, and it, it's put under, you know, under duress. Um, so this is ultimately a, a policy that destabilizes labor, it destabilizes and divides the working class, um, you know, along lines that, you know, shouldn't even be debated. Like, yeah. th- there is, th- there should be no debate on the fact that, um, you know, not allowing women to have access to reproductive rights, not allowing women to have access to abortion on demand, that that has an overarchingly negative effect on social development overarchingly negative like like was said they're not going to stop abortion from happening they're just going to make it less safe they're going to make it more harmful and they're going to be able to you know criminalize women for abortion and criminalize the people that conduct the abortions 
and it and it 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 breaks down the 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 fabric, the fiber of the working class of what keeps us together as a class, um, and and what you know we have ultimately in common with each other. And so it's a, it's really it's a very sinister strategy um, that was thought up by a you know a, a very sinister political movement in the in the 1970s. And we just have to be on guard about this and, and combat it, you know, whenever it crops up. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Joe. <laughs> I was going to say 100%. And I think that we're definitely like getting prepared to combat it, right? Like, like I said, they're still, they're going to have deliberations for the next few months. We'll see where we can step in as activists and as a community and, um, and like, let's do what we got to do, right? To keep the fight up. But I want to transition the conversation um, to why we actually have you on as a guest, Robert. Um, so transitioning into housing issues and eviction. Um, yeah, um, I mean, shoot, I can talk about whatever. Um, let me let me just jump in yeah. real quickly because I it was an article I read in the Journal Signal. Let me read the headline because I thought it was an interesting headline. Robust rental assistance is easing the expected wave of eviction judgments, but how long can it last, right? And uh, Robert, you're quoting the article and kind of the tone of the article is like, oh, we were, it was this great fear of evictions, uh, mass evictions going to happen, but it didn't happen. And then it's an actual quote from some lawyer associated with the landlord advocacy advocacy group, uh, apartment associate yeah. <laughs> association of southeastern Wisconsin. That's it's like a hell of a, a group to be along to. All along, I thought the predictions of a tsunami uh, were way overblown, right? And they're trying to, you know, it, it gives it's an article that gives both a uh, viewpoint of both sides. But I think if mm-hmm. if you're a reader, you leave in this article, they, it's kind of like, oh, we dodged a bullet, right? Right. And I found this uh, article interesting for a multitude of reasons, but it educated me on this um, conversation between eviction filings versus eviction judgments, right? And even in the article, they talk about um, the detrimental impact a filing can have, right? Yeah, it's it, it, on your on your record in your future of trying to rent uh, and get a place to stay yeah. uh, versus... And they're trying to make it seem like it's a, it's not as bad, but we know as you know, uh, black and brown folks, it's tough already to try to get a place, let alone having this uh, eviction filing on you. Yeah. So I guess my question for you is, and when it comes to evictions, no, we didn't see the tsunami, but just like the headline said, it, we we don't know what the future may hold. So can you kind of give us an outlook on where we had, where we currently, what's the status quo around mm-hmm. evictions and your projection of where we headed and the, the distinction between the eviction filing and the eviction judgment and how that can impact someone's future trying to find a place to stay? Yeah. Um... In terms of the article, I just want to say first that I really respect Callis Shelbourne, uh, the writer of the article. As, as a journalist, she writes on a lot of really, really important issues around the city. Um, so I have a lot of respect for her and even, you know, reaching out to me to, to you know, talk about this issue. But I would definitely disagree with the, the uh, phrasing of, of the rental assistance being robust um, because, you know, we, we aren't seeing the eviction tsunami. Uh, what we are seeing is more a... a 
protracted rise in evictions reaching up towards where things were at pre-pandemic levels, which, you know, Milwaukee is one of the highest evicting cities in the nation. And so the fact that we are reaching, you know, getting up towards pre-pandemic levels is not a good thing. Um, you know, that that can't be overstated or and it shouldn't be under, um, you know, appreciated that, you know, we're getting back to the way things were and things were bad. Um, so we're not seeing a tsunami. We're not seeing the courts flooded with, you know, just hundreds and hundreds of evictions. Um, and I think, you know, part of the reason for that is, you know, rental assistance, people being proactive about rental assistance, uh, even as the pandemic was, was coming to an end and the eviction moratorium, not the pandemic, as the eviction moratorium was coming to an end, um, we saw people being proactive about that, about seeking out rental assistance, which was good. Um, but now we're at the point where the rental assistance programs here in Milwaukee are totally overwhelmed. Um, you know, they go on to talk in the article uh, about the SDC and about community advocates. Um, and what we're seeing uh, as the tenants union is we're seeing the, that these organizations are at a, a snail's pace um, in terms of, of distributing money, of getting back to people about their cases. You know, there, there are tenants that are being evicted while waiting for somebody to look at their case. You know, people that have families, that are workers, that are caring for sick loved ones, you know, have that applied for rental assistance back in August or September or July in some cases that haven't heard a thing. And are they, you know, they're getting thrown out of their homes because the landlords get fed up. They're like, all right, well, I'm not waiting for rental assistance anymore. We waited three months. We waited four months. I exercised patience. I exercised restraint. And now it's time for you to go. You know, so that's, that is a lot of what we are seeing now um, as evictions are on the rise. It isn't a tsunami. It's nothing as dramatic as that, but it's a very, very real material and cold reality for a lot of people that, well, I just have to expect that, you know, I can't get in contact with anyone at Community Advocates. I can't reach anyone at SDC. I don't know what's going on with my application. My landlord puts a five-day notice on my door. Well, I guess I'm going to have to be gone. Um, and that's what we're seeing. We're seeing that across the city. You know, we're seeing that in, in the, you know, the north side in particular. We're seeing that uh, in the, the Latino neighborhoods on the south side. We're seeing it in some of the poor white neighborhoods on the on the way south side or you know kind of out in the boonies in the county area um it's it's something that is happening everywhere and it's affecting poor people everywhere poor renters everywhere um so it, it, it is really serious and it shouldn't be understated or played down and i feel like this article does do that a little bit and it's kind of like oh well we don't really know what's going to happen but we are seeing what is going to happen is we are going to see of rising in eviction levels as things, you know, get for, go forward and as rental assistance disbursements continue to be slow. Yeah, and just a couple of uh, a couple of points on that too. You know, as you evict more people, um, that's that's not going to positively contribute to the issue of um how of you know um people who are unhoused in the city and just once again we talked about this earlier in the show but we do live in wisconsin and it is winter right now you know mm -hmm. and there are people still outside and even though climate change in a way has led to kind of trends of more humidity less snow here it still gets very 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 cold and i know that i uh you know and 
early October, October 11th, uh, at the examiner, we did an article uh, where with the street angels where they were kind of talking about their census of people who are unhoused uh, on the street. And they thought, and they said that, you know, as it stood, according to the people that they were getting contact with every single night at that time, there was about 180 people um, who remained unsheltered in the mm-hmm. city. And they, uh, and it's a, uh, it's changing in that you're, you're seeing less encampments now, like what happened in King Park or uh, under the bridge um, downtown. You're, you're seeing people hiding away in their cars and et cetera. I know, Robert, that you had mentioned running into a, a, a woman who had just or people who had been recently evicted who, who were kind of put in that boat. Yeah, yeah, we, we do work with like when you're unhoused, you're still a tenant and, you know, you can you're still you can still be a member of the tenants union. We have several unhoused tenants that we're working with really desperately to try to make sure that they can get accommodations. We have, we have a man who's, you know, living in his car. Um, and we have, we have a, another woman who's living out on the street and there was a, a houseless man that died. He froze to death last night. You know, mm-hmm. outside. That, that's something that just happened last night. And I'm like, and I text my, my, my tenant that I'm working with. And I say, look, don't let that be you. Like you got to get to the shelter, you know, like, I know the shelter isn't comfortable. I know it's not ideal. I know you really dislike it there. So you got to get to the shelter. Like, don't let that be you. And, and this situation in particular is, you know, this, this, uh, this tenant that we're working with, she has an eviction on her record um, and she owes money on that eviction. And the landlord has refused to accept her money, has not accepted her money. She's gone to them with money to try to pay off the eviction. And they said, no, we can't. We can't accept it unless it's the full amount, um, even though they didn't set up a payment plan. There's documentation to prove that. Um, and now they've just stopped talking to her at all. And it's like no one will rent to her when she's got this eviction on her record where she owes money. She can't. You know, she's applied. We've applied and applied and applied for different housing spaces. And we've got a, applications in with community advocates and the SDC for months now. And it's like, well, you know, we're. We're, we're, a, we're, we're a small organization of, of you know, a few organizers and, and uh, several dozen, you know, tenant members. You know, we don't, we don't have any money to, like, you know, we don't have spaces to give to people. Like, it is, it is the government that has access to the funds and the resources. It is these nonprofits and NGOs that have access to the resources. What they need to do is they need to do something in order to get these resources out faster. I don't care what it is. Hire more staff. Get more people trained get more phones, office space, whatever, do whatever you have to do. But there's, you know, tens of millions of dollars set aside for the state of Wisconsin and for the city of Milwaukee. 85% of the, the uh, rental assistance money that was allocated by the federal government has not been touched. It's just sitting there. They need to take that money and they need to put people in houses. Robert, how is that? What, what, how does that happen? Not like I, I know how. Yeah, but like, so you tell me only fifteen percent of the money that's been allocated has been used. Yes. I, what's coming up the up the the system? What 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 is the disconnect between people who desperately need the resources, the resources being there, and eighty five percent of it not being touched? I like. Right. Somebody. Yeah. How does it happen? Yeah. That's wild. That's wild as hell. Right. Resources here, and they're just not being used. Like, how does that even make sense? 
Yeah, and, and, and while you address that, uh, maybe also just touch on a little bit, because uh, I know there are some, in terms of landlords and rental properties, there are some reoccurring names that own a lot of the property mm-hmm. uh, in your outreach. So if you uh, could uh, elevate that a little bit in your answer too. Oh, I'd love to drop some names. Um, so, so first to, to address the, the, the issue, I mean, we're, we're also trying, like as an advocacy group, we're also trying to gain a better understanding because, you know, we, we're talking to, to tenants every day. We've got dozens of, of tickets open in our system where it's just people asking, you know, what's taking so long? I applied for this, you know, when it was still warm outside, you know, I applied for this in September, like what's taking so long? And we don't really have a good answer for them because we don't really know. You know, is it a lack of will? Well, it could be a lack of will. I, I certainly see that as a possibility. Uh, there's a lack of political will or a lack of, you know, concern within these organizations. Because, I mean, you know, let's face it, they're getting paid either way, the people that are tasked with dispersing rental assistance. But I do want to assume the best of them. So my assumption is, is that there, there isn't the, the, the materials being provided in terms of staff, office space, you know, phones, people, you know, the, the resources that are needed to process applications, get back in touch with people about their applications, especially if, you know, there's something wrong on their application or something like that, and to get things moving along. You know, if I'm, if I'm assuming the best of these organizations, that would be my guess. Um, but I think there might be certain, you know, certain aspects of it that are just apathy you know, that are apathetic to the situation of, of people because, you know, when you're in those positions, you take call after call after call and application after application after application, and they just kind of blend together and you lose touch with the human aspect of, well, these are people with kids, with families, and their whole life is going to be turned upside down, uh, not only in the moment, but going forward if they are evicted. Um, and, and, and so that's, you know, I really, really want to stress that there's not enough being done to make the application process easier and to speed it up. It needs to be sped up. It's cold now. Today was 10 degrees this morning. It needs to be sped up. And there's no way around that. So, you know, we've been trying to get a meeting with, you know, uh, Jim Maffey, who oversees the rental assistance program with community advocates, with the SDC, anyone, because, you know, we have grave concerns as, as, a, as a group that is struggling for tenants' rights. Um, and we also have grave concerns that the landlords that are, are the most responsible for the, for the masses of evictions that are happening um, aren't holding up their end of the bargain um, in, in the sense that they might accept rental assistance money and then try to evict tenants that they've taken rental mm. assistance money from on the down low. And we've seen this happen. Um, we know that Barada Properties is doing this. Um, the, the, the biggest private landlord in the city, we know that he's doing this because it's documented and there is currently, you know, the, the district attorney, or not the district attorney, the attorney general is taking up a case against Barada Properties because of widespread complaints of, you know, things like um, extortion and, um, you know, taking people's rental assistance money and evicting them. Um, another one is S2 Properties owned by a really awful gentleman named Sam Stair, um, who rents mostly on the south side uh, in the uh, primarily Latino neighborhoods. Um, and uh, we've got the Metropolitan Associates as well. It's another uh, really awful landlord company that is actually the highest evictor during the, the, this past year. Um, 
let me just pull up one more because I know there's one more name that I want to throw in there. Please, oh, yeah. let's, let's not Daniel, drop them names. <laughs> Daniel Daniel Bruckner is another one who is just a, a really uh, scummy landlord that uh, can't be bothered um, to, you know, follow the law as it is written because tenants have rights, you know. You know, the landlord has rights uh, and the, the landlord's rights are, are usually much more robust and are taken much more into account by the courts and, and by the state authorities, but the tenants also have rights. And for the, for, for the most part, we see that tenants don't know their rights. They don't know what they have a right to. They don't know what a five-day notice means. They don't know that they have a right to appear in court. They don't know that their landlord can't just show up one day with his goon squad and take their stuff out of their house and throw it on the curb mm. and put a lock on their door. You know, people don't know that these things are illegal and that they have a right for that not to happen to them. And landlords take full advantage of that. They take full advantage of the fact that people don't know their rights. Um, and that's why we have seen, you know, a significant amount of illegal evictions happening. Uh, eviction by intimidation, uh, a constructive eviction where the landlord will, you know, make the apartment unlivable, he'll remove the doors, the windows, uh, cut off the electricity or the heat or remove the refrigerator or things like that. And then just plain old self-help evictions where the landlord shows up with you know a bunch of people and they just take everything out of the tenant's house. That that is stuff that you know we would like to think that that is you know oh that just happens here and there. No, that is a, a very real and and widespread occurrence in Milwaukee um, because people don't know their rights and basically the state authorities don't really care um, if these things happen to them because ultimately the state and the landlords. Uh, have a shared interest. Um, and the, yeah, and the county is only just now make, uh, exploring the whole right right to counsel for tenants pilot program, which is a pilot yeah, that's program. A, that's a great program, but it needs to be expanded significantly. Before we close, do you have the name of the individual that passed away last night? Because we, we gave energy to all the slummy uh, slumlords out there. Yeah, uh, let me see. We want to definitely that uplift that person. And saying healing energy and prayers to that fat person's family as this is wow that that still happened in in 2021 and uh can i just take a moment and say fuck normal because <laughs> getting back to normal because normals was shitty right it yeah. wasn't like it was somewhere we needed to be anyways and one of my big regrets is in my lifetime is the pandemic as terrible as it was it did allow us a moment to reimagine a world and reimagine what was essential, what's not essential, who was essential, who mm -hmm. wasn't essential. And we was having big conversations. And I, I really hope that that moment hasn't passed us by because yeah. we need to reimagine uh, tenants. What is a tenant? What is a landlord? Yes. And uh, all in the rights of a tenant. So um, but you, you bring up a great point that the pandemic isn't over. You know, yeah. it's not it's not over. It's still something that is very widespread, something that is ongoing. Um, and I think it's frankly cowardly uh, that our, our, you know, our local authorities, uh, the mayor, uh, you know, the county executive, the, the, the governor, the president, uh, that they have not, you know, put in place protections for renters. You know, the, we, they could have expanded the, the eviction moratorium. The eviction moratorium still should be in place. There should be zero evictions happening, um, but yet we're seeing them try to push this narrative of, oh, yeah, we need to, you know, we need to bring things back to normal. We need to get back to normal. And it turns out all of this 
you know, oh, you know, uh, you know, the pandemic, you know, Trump mishandled the pandemic and all this stuff. That was just to get get elected. Mm-hmm. And now that they're elected, now that they're secure in their offices, now we see a, a complete apathy towards, you know, renters, towards working people that are still in, in dire cir- circumstances, um, especially in relation to housing. So I'm, I'm, I feel very alienated by, uh, and disappointed by, by how our, our local and, and state level and, and federal politicians um, have approached this now that they're in power. Hmm. Were you able to find a uh, name? I got you. Well, unnamed at this time. Unnamed at this time. Shout out to that individual's family. And uh, yeah, uh, it's fucked that we just live in a society that, that actually happened last night. Yeah, may that, may that individual rest. Um, and I just when, wanted. When are we going to declare housing as a fundamental human right? I mean, right. This, this is ridiculous to to know that some folks just can't access housing, and their cause of death is that they froze. Like, um, it's inhumane. And um, Robert, before we end the show, I do want to like give you a second to provide like where folks can like get in touch with you or if they need you know the support from um your organization like what's the best way for them to like get connected um so they can get the resources that they need yeah absolutely um you know matu uh we try to make ourselves as available as possible um to um you know take tenants problems and 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 try and find solutions for them in whatever way we don't just go through um, you know, these nonprofits and NGOs for rental assistance, you know, if you're being harassed by your landlord, if, if your landlord is mistreating you, if you have maintenance issues uh, that you're concerned with, you know, we will, we will directly go and, and confront landlords about these types of things. Um, you know, we, we don't really act within the parameters of, oh, you know, this is the, you know, the process that you have to go through for this. I mean, you know, landlords, oftentimes when you show up and, and confront them and say, look, you're, you have a legal obligation to your tenants to do this and this and this, you should do it or otherwise, you know, we're going to make your life very difficult. They usually do it. Um, and so we, we really need more of that forceful action. So we really, really would, would uh, appreciate support from the community. We need more people that are willing to come along with us and just so, show support for your neighbors, show support for the people that live in your city that, you know, cause it could be you, you know, it could be you sometime. If, 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 if you end up in a situation with that landlord, wouldn't you want people to stand next to you and stand behind you as you go and demand what's, what, what you deserve? Um, so that's, that's why building a culture of solidarity uh, around housing is, is so crucially important to, to what we do and what we're trying to accomplish. Um, so we can be, you can find us, we've got a website with a lot of resources, matunion.org. Uh, you can call us at 414-410-9714 and leave a voicemail. Um, and you can also reach us at outreach at matunion.org um, for all of your housing needs, any questions. If you want to organize with us, you know, you can reach us and, and we will be very happy to get you involved in, in you know, the, the, the process of, of meeting the needs of people in the community. So, well, thank you so much for being on with us, Robert. This was a great conversation, lots of resources. Go ahead, Isaiah, jump in. 
Yeah, just very, very quickly, like before we end, um, I just wanted to note that I just got notifications today that they're on December 14th, I believe, the Assembly, the State Assembly is going to be taking out some legislation regarding landlords, regarding some of the points that we were talking about in the show. And it was introduced by uh, Francesca Hong. Um, there's a few different points. It's kind of bulky legislation. So I, I wasn't going to go into the finer details. And of course, we'll be covering that at the examiner. Um, the last thing I wanted to mention was actually kind of related to our earlier abortion conversation. Um, just very quickly, you know, we have an example in recent history where a country uh, banned all forms of contraception. You know, uh, that country was uh, was a Romania. The idea was to bloister the workforce by by increasing the population. It was a complete disaster. It overflowed. You know, there was a crisis of overflowed orphanages and everything, and the babies couldn't be cared for. Babies need to be touched and nurtured, and a lot of the babies had many kinds of issues and developmental and psychological issues because of that kind of neglect. And there was kind of an adoption crisis that happened happened from that. And actually, one of a good friend of mine. Uh, who I went to high school with was one of those orphans. So, I mean, like, I just wanted to point that out that we have an example of where this leads, of where that leads at least. And those are my closing thoughts. All right, y'all. Well, that is our show for the day. Um, keep following us and stay tuned for the next episode of This Is Not That Podcast. Thanks again to Robert for spending some time with us and chatting. We'll see y'all next time. Peace. All right. Organize, organize, organize. Thank you all for having me. I greatly appreciate it. No worries. Bye-bye.